you know, it may not be wise to begin New Year's talking about my mother-in-law, but I'm going to brave it. And I must say first, my mother-in-law was one of the most amazing people I've ever known in my life. Generous in her giving all of her life, all for Jesus. That was her motto with her being and with her possessions. Tireless she was in serving others and wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly devoted to the Word of God, and to prayer. Now, having said that, I must say additionally that she could also be confused in her phraseology. For instance, in referring to someone who was elated, she would say, she was on cloud seven. (laughs) And by that, she meant she was on cloud nine. Referring to someone's ability to stop really quickly, she would say he could stop on a nickel. And by that she meant he could stop on a dime. Once she left a particularly lovely dinner and she thanked the hostess and host on the way out and she said that she would soon have to retaliate. And by that she meant reciprocate. Referring to someone who was making too much noise, she would say, he was rattling around like a bull in a bottle. (laughs) Yeah, that one we never did figure out. (laughs) But then there was this one. Referring to the radical change in someone's life after coming to faith in Christ, she would say, he made a 360 degree change. Now, by that, she meant a 180-degree change, or did she? Maybe this woman who radically lived her life for Christ noticed that some people, after coming to faith in Christ, for them, their life went on as usual. More of a 360 end up in the same place as you started change than a 180-degree complete turnaround. And so I wonder this morning how you would describe the change that Christ has brought to your life. Is it a 180-degree complete turnaround, or is it more of a 360 sort of in the same place, or is it somewhere in between? You and I must be committed as we begin this new year. By the grace of God and the power of the Spirit to really seek radical change for our lives. And that's what I want to talk about as we return this morning for one last time to Isaiah chapter 40. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you'll turn in the Old Testament to that place, Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And when you've found your place, let's stand together so that we might honor the word of the Lord as we hear it read together. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. 
Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've spoken. We thank you that we have heard your voice in this place today. Now we pray that you would bless us with understanding as we come to your word. And through the power of your spirit, may your word bring change to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I return to this passage one last time because God's prophetic word often has many layers to it. His prophecies, his promises are fulfilled usually in more than one way and at more than just one time. Now, the verses I've just read that we've read a couple of times during the Advent season, they're used because they describe the coming of Christ into the world. And they do it beautifully. And they do it inspirationally. And they do it truly. But they don't do it completely. Another layer still exists. The final fulfillment of these verses lies far beyond the event of Christ's birth. And here's why that's good news for us. Because now you and I, this morning, we are included in this conversation that God is having with Isaiah. You and I are not detached observers analyzing an ancient event. We are present participants. So look in verse 5. It says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. God's glory was indeed revealed in the person of Christ. Human flesh, human eyes did see the glory of Christ, but not all flesh, not yet. The final and full fulfillment is yet to be when the last layer is finally put in place. Jesus says in Matthew 24, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, then all the tribes of earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. In Revelation chapter 1, we read, Behold, He, Christ, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen. And so we see the final fulfillment is yet to be. Might you and I be around for it? 
Will we be the ones to see the sign appear in the sky? Will we be the ones to behold the the power and the great glory that will uniquely accompany the return of Christ? I hope so. Do you? I want to see it, but I don't know so. So therefore, that means that everything that God's prophetic word required of these people in Isaiah's day, while they looked for the fulfillment of these words, it's required of you and me as well. And that means radical change. As we noted the last time when we were in these verses, a 150-year gap exists between the end of chapter 39 and the beginning of chapter 40. In those first 39 verses, God is speaking through Isaiah to Isaiah's contemporaries, to the people around whom and among whom Isaiah was living. He looked around at these people. They had turned away from God. They worshiped idols. They were flagrant in their unfaithfulness, and they were going to be sent into captivity. Beginning in verse 40, God, through Isaiah, is addressing a future people. The people who will be taken to Babylon and people who have been living in captivity there for many years. And among those future people, there is great regret and there is despair and there is despondency over all that they had lost. Listen to Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there, our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we are in a foreign land? So first, we have in verse 1, words for future comfort. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says the tender voice of God. The tenderness, the comfort of God must be what dries the tears of his people. I'll say that again. The comfort that God offers must be what dries the tears of his people. And remember now that we are part of this conversation. And so perhaps this is going to be the first change that's required of you this morning. Possibly even a 180 degree change for you. Because my years of pastoring have shown this to me. That many people do not often view God as a God of comfort. A God who is harsh. A God who is judgmental. A God who is angry. A God who is disappointed. Those things are easily believed. But not that God is a God of tender 
comfort. So whatever your view is of God right now, that view has to come in line with this reality of who God is. You might be on a spiritual mountain right now, and you know the love of God, and you feel the comfort all around you through the presence of His Son. And if that is you, you are blessed, my friend. But if not, remember these words. God seeks comfort for His people. Even those who had wandered far from Him and were crying the tears that resulted from that decision. So should 2023 hold tears for us or sadness or despair, God must be our comfort. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions through Christ. We share abundantly in comfort. God gave the Apostle John this vision. Revelation 7, for the Lamb, that's Christ, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The finger of God will wipe away every tear. The present ones and the future ones. And so these verses require that you and I find our comfort in God, His Word, His presence with us, His never failing, always faithfulness without exception to us. And I'm not suggesting that you cannot find comfort in this world, in other places, from other things and other people. You can. In fact, some of those things God has given to us by design, because He loves us. But I'm suggesting that whatever those sources are, they are ancillary, they are auxiliary, they are secondary, and they will prove in the end ineffective as a primary and lasting source of comfort. Only Christ can provide that deep and lasting, deep down kind of comfort For you and for me. So continue in the comfort you are finding in Christ right now because you have changed, because you've given up seeking comfort in those other places. And don't turn back or commit to that 180 degree change that requires you to look deeply at the heart of God and see the comfort that He has for you in Christ. Secondly, These verses require that we live as people of faith. Look in verse 3. Here's an unidentified voice commanding preparation for the change that is coming through the king that is coming. Look what it says. Prepare the way, a command. Make straight a highway, a command. Change is coming. Get ready. But this command to prepare is really, for those people, and for us here this morning, a call to faith. God never has, listen to this, please listen. God never has, 
nor will he ever require us to change ourselves before we come to him. God never has, nor will God ever require that we change ourselves before we come to him because we cannot do that. But he requires us to have faith that he can change us. And so it is here. The people that Isaiah addresses can only prepare the way of the Lord by having faith that the Lord is actually coming to them by believing that change is coming. The people do not yet see God coming down the highway that they are preparing, but they believe that he will come. And so the preparation here is faith. It's to believe that God is present with them until, as the song says, our faith becomes sight. To be unprepared is to believe that nothing will ever change. To be fatalistic, hopeless, to say, why bother? The Apostle Paul, Peter writes about those kind of people. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. This is unprepared, faithless, hopeless. So the preparation is faith. Change can come because Christ has come and is coming again. So I will believe. I will watch. I will live as one who has faith. We know that on one layer, this prophetic word is fulfilled in John the Baptist. He identifies himself. I am the voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that's what he did. He prepared for Christ, but that's just on one level. The life of faith remains for you and for me as we wait for Christ's return. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And listen, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the present command here in verse 3, prepare, make straight, is not only for the people held captive in Babylon who were despairing in that place that sin had brought them, but it's to us as well. People who find ourselves often in despair at the places our own sin brings us. Have faith in God. Have faith in Christ, in who He is, and what He can, and graciously and lovingly will do. I so gladly, I love my job. There's, this is the best job in the world, I gotta tell you. And I will gladly take the role of the voice this morning that calls out to myself, that calls out to you. Have faith because I know that I know that I know that God is faithful. Christ is faithful and I can with complete confidence call us to a 180 degree change that lands you and me in a place of complete faith in Christ for all things. 
And I can make that call because I know Christ will never fail us. Christ will never fail us. We must not fail him. By seeking to call the shots for our lives and giving up on Christ if he doesn't answer in the way we want. Have faith. He knows what he's doing with your life and in your life and with my life. Choose to have faith in the goodness of God. And finally, verse 4 describes that change for which we must hope. And it challenges us this morning to be big hopers. Not to settle for small change, so to speak. Instead, look for the big bills, the big stuff. God says, every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. I love it here. Shall be, not might be, or a hope to be. No, it will happen. You and I shall be changed. Is that good news? John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be has not yet appeared. Now that should intrigue us. That should spur us on with eager anticipation. What shall I be? And then he continues. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now to be like Christ, I think you will agree, requires radical change. And that's what we see in these verses. The change requires the opposite in each case. Mountains will become their opposite. They will be leveled. Valleys will become their opposite. They will be filled in. But listen, mountains are beautiful. God created them. God took Moses high on a mountain so that he might see the promised land. Zion, Jerusalem, the city of God. It's on a mountain. Jesus took Peter, James, and John high on a mountain. And he was transformed before their eyes. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became radiant and intensely white. Jesus is not anti-mountain, but the mountain must change. Valleys are beautiful. God created them as well. Lot looked at one of those valleys, the Jordan Valley, that was well watered, and he said it looked like the garden of God. The spies that went to the promised land, they looked at the valley, the valley of Eshkol. And from that valley, they cut a cluster of grapes that was so big that two men had to carry it on a pole between them. Valleys can be beautiful. Valleys can be abundant. But the valley must change. And so the point is that no matter how we find ourselves before Christ, no matter how good, no matter how beautiful, 
no matter how well-intentioned we believed ourselves to be, or others who looked at our lives believed us to be, radical change must come to whoever we are when Christ enters our lives. And you and I must not attempt to retain for ourselves some inherent goodness in us that does not need to change. That doesn't exist. We must change. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain shall be made low. Again, the verb is passive. We're not responsible for changing ourselves. God brings a change, but we must look to Him to bring it. Our prayer must be, change me, O God. Change me, O Christ. We've seen in the past weeks that change comes by degree. From one degree of glory to the next. But the goal is toward that 180 degree complete change. You and I must not stall out along the way. Be satisfied with just a little change. Some partial change. We've got to be determined to seek complete 180 degree through the grace of God and the power of the Spirit within us kind of change. And perhaps you and I are never more hopeful than on this day of the year that is so meaningful for us. A new day, a new year, a fresh start, new opportunities. I'm not going to list the changes that can take place or the changes that you seek because you already know those for your life. You know how you want to change. You know how you need to change. I know that information in my own life. And if you don't know those ways you need to change, ask your family. (laughs) Ask your friends. They'll be glad to inform you. I will simply call us to seek that change through Christ and finish our look at these prophetic words with this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For all the promises, all the prophecies of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And so the more you look at Christ this year, the more you talk with Christ this year, the more you walk with Christ this year, the more you will change radically. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do not require us to change ourselves because we cannot do it. How we thank you for that truth of the gospel. Thank you, Father, that you're the one that brings the change because you love us and you came to redeem us and renew us and restore us. And so we thank you for that. And so, Father, I pray now for faith among us to believe that you can and will bring the change. I pray for us that we will look to you, to your word, to your spirit, to bring that change about. We look to you, Lord, to comfort us, 
when we fail. Sin will always be present among us, Lord. It will always discourage us. It will always cause us to say, no, not again. So, Lord, in those moments, comfort us, renew our faith and our hope, and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.